welcome to the Marja Business Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. In today's episode, we got Ken Burke. Ken is the founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur Now Network. He's not only a highly successful serial entrepreneur, he is as well a speaker, a mentor, and a published author. Ken's background is in software, which led him to found Market Life, a market-leading enterprise-class e-commerce software that generated more than $2 billion in annual sales globally. In 2021, Ken authored the book Prosper, Five Keys to Thriving in Business and Life. And in addition to this book, Ken has hundreds of published articles and has spoken at over 300 industry events spanning his 21 years in the e-commerce industry. I'm very happy to have Ken today in the podcast. Welcome, Ken. Ken, I'm very happy that uh, we got you here today, that you could make it. Thank you for your time. And yeah, let's let's dive right into it because I know there's a lot of things going on in your life as far as I uh, just understood. And it's an amazing story, which maybe not too many people will remember. But I think if you simply Google it, you will find it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the amazing things which happened in the e-commerce space. But please, um, let me just introduce yourself. And then we uh, please go over your past yeah. because this is definitely something we, we we need to know more about. Well, thank you, Omar. And it's uh, an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. And uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you know, it's funny uh, as, as I love talking about e-commerce because, well, I've been in e-commerce most of my life. I started in 1995 uh, and we'll give you the whole history. And it'll be very short uh, <laughs> and building an e-commerce uh, platform. And we built one of the largest e-commerce platform over 21 years. It was both Gartner and Forster Rank as one of the top five, if not one of the top uh, two or three e-commerce platforms in the world. Uh, wow. It was called Market Live. We actually ended up selling it in end of 2015 uh, to a very large company. It's now called Kibo Commerce. That's its new name, uh, along with a lot of other technologies. But we did about $2 billion. That's $2 billion with a B in online sales for our customers uh, each wow. and every year. We had wonderful customers. We had a lot of fashion apparel. Uh, so some of your listeners may be into that area. We had hard goods, sporting goods, uh, a lot of decorative home, a lot of home goods as well. Uh, we did across the board e-commerce. And so I was able to watch the growth of e-commerce from when, you know, we had the first Cyber Monday. I was there the first Cyber Monday. We didn't know what Cyber Monday was at the day. Uh, I remember our customers. I used to be sitting there on, on that Monday morning and and we only knew back then before they called it Cyber Monday that a lot of sales came in and we couldn't figure out why. And I remember sitting with my customers where, you know, they were all over the country here in the United States and we'd be sitting at our control center and we'd be watching all this traffic come in. And finally somebody named it Cyber Monday. And then I remember also, you know, it was, it was Thanksgiving here in the U S we have Thanksgiving on the prior Thursday. And then we couldn't figure out why all everybody was shopping, you know, Thursday afternoon, our servers were exploding. We were not ready for it, you know? And then we finally got wise and, and uh, you know, and moved over to AWS, which was a good move, by the way, uh, and certainly. But I remember the days as well when Amazon was coming to us and we were integrating with them well before any of the things that your listeners are listening to. And they were still trying to figure out, like, how do I work with these people out? You know, what, what do I do? What's the integration look like and all that? We worked on that uh, in the early days of e-commerce. So we had a little bit of history. 
But you know, today I'm a practicing entrepreneur. Uh, I'm running multiple businesses right now. I switched from e-commerce to e-learning. Uh, and now I teach entrepreneurs how to start, grow, and run their business. I have my own business software company as well. Uh, but I think I can relate to your listeners today around the struggles and the triumphs uh, of e-commerce because I did it for so many years of my life and I'm still doing it today, just in a different fashion. Wow, you're, you're definitely in a very good position to talk about this. And one thing would be very interesting because Amazon 1999, um, we have Jeff Bezos uh, uh, sitting and trying his best to sell books uh, uh, on Amazon. And you have been flourishing in your e-com business already um, for quite a while. Um, but as I listened to many podcasts before, there have been some some tricky Uh, things going on when it comes to payment methods uh, uh, early on before the before like the when we still had the dial up uh, uh, internet um, because obviously there were no real payment gateways there was no no nope. so can, no security. can you just can you please there was just security quickly? I mean we used to we used to transmit credit cards uh, via text files along with our order files in exactly, the early days exactly but now you know today of course I think everybody knows out there that's in the e-com space we, today we won't touch a credit card um, not even I mean our engine uh, back in the day we were PCI compliant and certified level one so we could store credit cards but uh, but even today I don't even want to store a credit card I don't want a credit card anywhere near me you know uh, in terms of just the security and let 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 the people from Amazon and Stripe and some other payment processors do that and you tokenize everything which I know everybody already knows now that's the thing to do um, but there's so many advancements but at the end of the day you know e-commerce is about it's at the end of the day e-commerce is still about merchandising and being running a really good business and understanding margins. And I know these are all the struggles that your audience is listening to each and every day. Um, and also having a really good entrepreneurial mindset, which is something I talk a lot about. But at the end of the day, you've got to have the business fundamentals uh, that actually, you know, the business fundamentals and you have to have it figured out so that when the tides turn, when we go into a recession, which everybody certainly is saying there'll be a word recession, uh, if it's not already happening, it will happen. And how do you deal with that? Because I watch so many businesses go out of business during that time because they don't have the right fundamentals in place. And if you could just put the right fundamentals in place, and, and I know it's hard because cash is king and, and, and you, you've got to work through all of that, but are there some disciplined things that you can do in order to have that three to six months of cash available to fund you know, any dip? And dips can go, by the way, for two years. I've been involved in multiple massive dips, 2001, 2008, Uh, were the two big the ones, 2008 the last yeah. one. I lived through it. I was a Sequoia-backed company, Sequoia being one of the, for your audience, the, the number one VC in the world. And they basically told us, nobody, all we had funded 165 companies. And they basically told all of us, you're not getting any more money. We're done. No more money for the next couple of years. So do what you need well, to do. So, you know, the lessons there is, you know, cut. If you got to cut, if you got to, if, if you see that you're really starting to struggle, You know, cut earlier than later and, and, and start to dial back the business a little bit so you can survive. What entrepreneurs typically do, and I know this is not a positive topic, but you know what entrepreneurs usually do is we're so darn optimistic that we'll just push and push and push and push and then we'll fall off a cliff and or we'll have blinders on because we want to do we want to do the business of e-commerce. We want to do the business of whatever it is. And I got to tell you, having a really good financial plan and revising it, updating it every month, which people don't want to hear, is the fundamentals of actually staying in business. And that's really the struggle. What you want to do is you want to make sure you stay in business and you grow. And then you have your challenging times, and that's when you want to stay in business. And then when the good times are, then you grow. So it's a stair-step approach to business that ultimately, and I saw it in my own business, that ultimately will bring you to a valuation where you could actually sell your company. And that's where you make all your money. 
is being able to take maybe your Amazon business or something else. Uh, and, and we saw this a, a couple of years ago where all the aggregators came in and they started buying up these, uh, these companies. It was great. Now that's all kind of gone away, not all, but that's kind of gone away. That was a big thing for a while. And then it's kind of gone away. Sure. But you know, what value are you building in your Amazon business or your e-commerce business? And I would suggest to you, it's about brand. It's about leadership. It's about the things that you, that can last beyond just you and the daily cash or the weekly or monthly cash that's coming in. And so the more that you can actually build in that brand and build in that uniqueness uh, uh, of your, and your, and, and, and understand what we'll call your core value proposition, that is different from everybody else out there, right? So if you're only selling on Amazon, I think you have a problem. You have a problem that you're not diversified and that if Amazon sneezes, you could be out of business tomorrow. So let's not make sure that Amazon doesn't sneeze and say, we're gonna change this policy because they do. I work with Amazon and Walmart and one of the companies I'm on the board on, I actually actually am the general manager of a company uh, uh, working with Amazon and Walmart, uh, optimizing Amazon and Walmart uh, pages. And you know, they, uh, Walmart changes a policy and all of a sudden the business is like, what, what just happened to part of our business? That can happen to you as well. So you've got to protect against that if you're really building something that's sustainable, that's long-term, and that can be sold because you, when you're building a company, you got to be building assets. So we'll talk more about it. I don't, I didn't mean to go off and do a tangent here, but it, I'm really passionate about how Amazon sellers can differentiate their business overall and the resistance to do that because they want to just keep milking the same cow that's been being milked before. At some point, that's not going to be as effective. And we already know it's not as effective. Advertising rates are going up. PPC is coming down in terms of effectiveness uh, and you're making less and less money. So what are you going to do to make more money? And that's really the question. And that's the mindset that I want to talk about today uh, is how can we make more money out of the business that we already created? Because you've already done a phenomenal job. You took something from nothing and made it into something. Now let's make something into something that's sustainable that you can sell as a business and really cash out with millions, if not tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. No, definitely. Uh, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I, li I like to listen to you because if, if you um, spent 20 years uh, uh, growing a company, you must you must have seen ups and downs and people falling left and right, you know, and and you're the last man standing going all through going through yeah. all this thing. And then you exit because actually, you know, nowadays everything is much more short, short term, you know. So this is very rarely that I see this like a company after 20 years doing an exit. What we see right now is like a company, you create a company um, like uh, three months, six months, uh, you, you have a community that buy, they buy from you, for example, a software or something, you know, you have like five, 600, you, you know, get some, you get somebody to buy your company and that's about it. You say, bye, I'm exited, you know, and that's, that's the thing, you know, and as well, when, when, when I began my business 10 years ago, I didn't went in with that mindset. And that is that is a problem for a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs or business owners. They don't go in with the mindset um, saying, okay, they create their business for exiting. That is uh, one very important thing, you know, but it's, you know, I learned, I, I learned along yeah. the way. I didn't, I didn't burn my business. I I'm still here and uh, I, I'm still really uh, uh, in a niche, um, uh, in, in, a, in a niche uh, project, which, uh, not many um, uh, Amazon agencies actually uh, are in. So we really understand the market. We understand what we do. and um, But they, I've seen many in these 10 years who come and go. So I just oh, want absolutely. to talk with you. I just want to talk with you as well about this mindset, how, how people get in, how they could change and how could they understand if they really went in and they don't have an exit plan. 
because obviously now we have an exit plan, but before we didn't have one because we didn't even know that we were running a business. You understand? So right, you kind of fell into it, which a lot exactly. of Amazon businesses, uh, you know, I know you're an agency, but a lot of Amazon e-commerce businesses kind of they started it started to work and then it started to work more, and all of a sudden you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, I have a business. Uh, but the, but the question is, is that and it's still a struggle because even though you have a business, you could be doing ten million, hundred million, you could be doing five million, two million on Amazon. The problem is, is that the margins are so small that you're not going to make a lot of money, as we all know. I mean, that's no secret, right? But what you are building up, as you continue to build it up, you will be able to push more to the bottom line. The thing is, first of all, uh, if you're going into business to start to sell it within one or two years, you know, good luck. You, you've got to create, excuse me, you've got to create a tremendous amount of value within one or two years in order to actually sell it for anything that's worth anything. People do it, but that's not the case. And usually what happens, that's just... Uh, it's it's ridiculous to think you're going to sell a business in a couple of years uh, for you know a significant amount of money. It just doesn't usually happen, right? What you have to do is you work the business and you build the business over time. You'll have your challenges, you'll have your 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 roadblocks uh, and things. But you know, having the mindset of having an exit in mind, uh, you know, actually is how I learned how to build businesses. That you know, are you building a lifestyle business? A lifestyle business says. I want to take as much out of the business as I can each year. I want to live a nice lifestyle. I want the business to kind of feed that lifestyle. And I'm good. I'm never planning on selling it. If you're not planning on selling it, your whole strategy around how you raise money, who you raise money from, do you raise money at all, how you spend money within the business, how you invest back into the business is completely different than in my business, my software company, as an example, in the e-com space. Uh, we basically didn't make a profit. I don't think we made a profit any year because our structure was such that we basically took every dime that we had and we reinvested it back in the business for 20 years so that we could sell it for 10 digits, right? We can sell it for over $100 million and cash out. That's a different, wholly different strategy. So once you understand what you want to do, I want to exit in three years or five years and seven years. What the exit allows you to do is have a target of where you want to go. And if it is two years, then understand what can you do in two years to actually create value? Well, I think that's a very short duration for a business. You don't even figure yourself out in two years. It takes a couple of years just to figure everything out. If you think you're brilliant and you're some magical business person that nobody's ever seen before, you better look in the mirror again and uh, and and do an ego check, as I call it, because you're going to get smashed up the head uh, or smashed upside the head, as we say, uh, because it's not the reality and something is going to tear you down. Your ego will crush your business if you let it. Uh, I write about that in my book, uh, which I didn't mention earlier. I didn't even mention to you, actually. Uh, which is called Prosper, Five Steps to Thriving in Business and in Life. And it talks about ego and taking action and getting clarity and, and, and the things that will drive you forward, not just in business, but in life. And so you really have to think about what you want to be, what your definition of success is for the business. And you need to think about it now and have a plan to wherever that trajectory lands, because then you'll craft the business and be able to maximize its value based on these strategies that you actually implement. You don't just kind of willy-nilly grow things and then wake up one day, sure, it can happen. But that's not kind of how it happens. How it happens is you have a plan for strategizing exactly what you want to create as you're creating it. You always want to run a bit, by the way, my VCs, Sequoia Capital, every famous VC out there that I've ever interacted with, and there's been a lot of them said, you run a business not to sell it, but you run it, you, you actually run the business to, to grow it and to maximize its effectiveness, efficiency, uh, its profits, uh, its revenues, and then somebody will want to buy it. It's not the opposite. So I've been talking about exit strategy and knowing what you want to do when you want to do it. But when you're actually running the day-to-day -day business, here, the bottom line is don't run it like you're going to sell it. 
run it like you're running it, right? You never want to tell, you never want to be sold. You want to be bought. And like I told you, I had a very large exit and all of my investment bankers, all of my coaches, everybody said, you know, you're a good company. A company that gets its maximum value is bought, not sold. Do you understand what that means, right? You don't put up a for sale sign. That's not how you get the most money. You want people coming to you and saying, God, I really want your business because then the multiple of what they'll pay on revenues or on profits goes up exponentially because they want you. You're not saying, hey, I really want you to buy me. I really want you to buy me. And they're like, yeah, I'll buy you for one X of revenue. Let's take the reverse of that. Hey, I really, uh, 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 instead of you wanting to be bought, you're saying, uh, some people come to you and say, I want to buy you. I want to buy you. I don't really want to be sold, but I really, really want you. I don't know if I want to be sold. Well, if you really want me, how much are you willing to pay? And that number starts to go up and the multiple That's becomes 2x, yeah. 3x, 4x, 5x. That's the difference between being bought and being sold. And so run a business with the business fundamentals that you have, that you absolutely need uh, in the business. So if I was in an Amazon business, first thing I would do after creating the Amazon business, now I've got some revenue, now I've got all this, I would start building a brand around that. And I would invest in the brand. I would invest in unique products and services or products that I want to sell. I would sell them in other channels other than Amazon, knowing full well that Amazon is 90% of my business or 80% of my business. I would start to diversify out of that because nobody wants to buy you. If, if So give me an example. If I was selling on 40 marketplaces, including Amazon, when I was fairly diversified, Amazon being the biggest marketplace, then I built my own .com and about 50% of my revenue was coming from my own .com about 30% from Amazon and 20% from the rest of the marketplaces I sell, you are so much more attractive of a business, even smaller, and I will pay more for you than if 99% of my sales are coming from Amazon, period. End of conversation, that's just the way that it is, right? Because you can be disintermediated, if that's a big word, I know, but you can be disintermediated inside of Amazon in a nanosecond. They recategorize something and you're all of a sudden, you have a different set of competitors. And I'm sure some of your, 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 your listeners, if not all of them have experienced something that Amazon has done that's pissed them off, that's changed the way they do things. So take the power into your own hands, take the success that you had in Amazon and start to build that into a brand that has, maybe that you've integrated your e-learning into it. It, it. So you're educating your customers and building that bond so they come back again and again. Maybe you've integrated some subscription program into your business, maybe all, not on Amazon, but maybe on your own site where you're able to bundle products and or products and services together that have a reoccurring nature to your business. By the way, that's really important. The more uh, that you can target your business into a subscription business, the more sustainability that you can have for your business overall. I don't care if you're selling products. You're like, well, Ken, my business doesn't do subscription. Well, pretty much everybody does a subscription today. If you're a beauty company, you're replenishing something. I got my face cream, my, my anti-wrinkle cream, my, my this, my makeup, my that, whatever it might be. Yeah, you're on a, a, continue, a continuity program that's re replenishing you. That's why they give the discounts on that. You all know that. But look inside your business. If you're saying, I'm not naturally in a business that has a reoccurring nature to it, figure out a way to make it reoccurring. There is probably a trigger. Not every business, but a lot of businesses can be reoccurring. I'm going to buy again from you, so I want to put you on a program and load it up with some benefits. Load it up with what, whether it's external content or things that you can build the brand with. So, for instance, again, if I'm in the beauty industry, I'm loading up my site with beauty information, beauty lessons, beauty courses, uh, how to be better at skincare. I'm building the brand that extends beyond uh, just selling them a box, selling them a cream, selling them whatever it might be. Make sense?
That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's exactly what I'm always saying, because uh, in order, you know, in order to sell a product, you need to stand behind the product. You cannot. Yeah. And you know, the, the, it's like you the, you are the face of the company. You know, it's if you just sell for selling makes no sense. You know, then uh, this 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 is like uh, when we talk about 2000 or uh, 2010 was the, the Wild West and, and Amazon. So everyone everyone who wanted to sell sold uh, on Amazon. And this is this is why I as well gave, gave this example. People didn't come in with the mindset of exiting or, or even creating a company. It's just, hey, I'm going to sell a product on Amazon, you know? And suddenly it's, oh, it's two, oh, it's three, oh, it's five, oh, it's 10, oh, it's thousand, oh, it's two. And suddenly they grew to a monstrous company and they were like, oh, now, now it's uh, what we're going to do. You know, we're, we're not too many people. We have problems in the warehouse. We have problems, you know, and all these, all these problems are adding up. And there is a lot, a lot of good entrepreneurs who actually turned it around and managed it very, very well. And they yes. grew to, to monstrous companies. And, and I was lucky enough to work with one of these companies um, for 10 years, which exactly the same had begun. And they grew into a, a monstrous company afterwards. And uh, uh, learning from uh, these type of people is is really important because um, you, you you don't think uh, too much when you when you begin to sell. It comes in the process actually afterwards when you're tested, when you really um, get yeah. when you really get caught cold in all of these things because suddenly you need to turn around a million, you need to turn around to a million. How are you going to do it with the containers? How are you going to put this this merchandise back? How are you going to handle all this stress? Uh, how are you going to handle the stress in the office? How, okay, there is all of these things. And I think there we see the entrepreneur mindset, really. And if somebody is not stable enough, they break out. And, and then this is where we see businesses go away. Uh, uh, go away. And I would even say fail because everyone else who continue never fails. They only learn. So this is, um, for, from my, my point of view, an entrepreneur mindset. And everyone who has this mindset, he will always go on. They will sell the company or they will do something else, another reoccurring revenue or anything of that kind. And they will always be able to get themselves out there and do something very, very good and even more innovative. Maybe starting a SaaS company, as you mentioned, or uh, put, your, put themselves into e-learning because everyone can, there's, can as well sell their story. Um, you can sell Absolutely. your story. I mean, like. Absolutely. There's so much. There's so much, and I and I love you know. It's funny. I just today, this morning, I I taught a class on dealing with failure, which you uh, uh, so so eloquently uh, spoke about. Uh, because I don't believe there is failure. It's impossible to fail. You can go to KenBurke.com, watch a video on it. Uh, it'll tell you it's impossible to fail because in the process, you're going to have such great experiences as you go through this growth period. And you have to realize and put it in perspective in terms of the challenges or things that you might be having. It's easy to say, but guys, I've run a business too. I've had the ups and downs. I've had the customers leave. I've had servers go down. I've lost millions of dollars and gained millions of dollars, you know, uh, just like that. It, 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 that's part of the process. So when you start to realize it's part of the process, then all you have to do is start to manage that and manage that in your head, realizing that there's, see the biggest, so we'll get to the entrepreneurial mindset. And one of the things is, <laughs> excuse me, the biggest part, uh, the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur is fear of failure. That is what freezes them. That's what stops them. And so if you're, if you, if you are growing and you grew a business to a certain size, you wonder why you plateaued. You want, and this happens to every business is that almost every business that at some point in time, you either stop growing or you start to go down a little bit, or you plateau before you get to the next one. It's a normal business cycle. And there's a couple of reasons why it happens. One is the thing that required, the things that were required to build you up to a certain level to a million or 2 million or $3 million or $10 million is a different skill set that takes you from $10 million to $100 million 
it is a different skill set that takes you from $100 million to a $1 billion in sales if you're a retail company. They're different. There's a different mind. So A, your mind has to mature along with that as number one. But also, here's the key, your processes and procedures. And this is a really hard thing to do, but I'm going to tell you to do it anyway, which is you've got to build enough infrastructure in place as you're building the company, as you're growing. You have to build enough in, but if you put too much in too fast, you'll kill the company. Because too much process, too much procedure in a small company actually doesn't work. You, the, the great part about being smaller right now, for those of you that are smaller, is you're nimble. You can react. Uh, you buy in smaller quantities. You might be able to react to trends that are going on in the industry. And boom, boom, you can do that. When you're doing it, huge orders and you're buying a year in advance or six months in advance, and you're buying containers and warehouses and all of this other things, you can't move it. You're not as nimble when you're $100 million. You're not as nimble. Exactly. And as an entrepreneur, you're farther away from all the decisions. Yes, you make the decisions at a high level, but then you've got all these other people in, 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 in involved in the decisions that once you made all on your own. So a couple of things that stifle growth is the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur's ego keeps too much of a control on the company so they actually stifle their own growth. You've got so when you when you start bringing in other leaders in your company, you've got to let them lead. This is really important, and I struggled with this as well. I had an executive team for probably all of us, ten all years, of us. ten to twelve years. I actually most of the uh, time that I owned the company, I had an executive team, and but I for the first ten years of my business, I had a stranglehold on them because every decision went through me, every dime went through me, every approval went through me. I knew what was going on in every aspect of the company, uh, and so whoa, okay. But then the company starts to grow out of that where I became the bottleneck and I didn't allow. And so as soon as I let my executives start to have some control and then more control and then ultimate control. And the only thing that I ended up doing when I ended up selling the company, I quadrupled the value of the company in two years. Uh, and there's a long story in that. I actually left the, uh, the business for a while. I didn't leave, but I, we brought another CEO. He was a disaster. I came back in. I recovered the company. Uh, and we actually quadrupled the value in two years of the company. But that was when I learned leadership, which was I'm going to let my I'm going to only manage my my seven executives that I had. I had seven tier C-level executives. And then we had 250 people below them. And I just managed them. I didn't manage anything because they were really good at their individual discipline. I was the symphony uh, uh, leader, if you will, uh, leading the orchestra, making sure that all the instruments sounded right at a strategic level. That's the critical part of it. So even if you have an executive team of one or two people, uh, and maybe they're even your family members or what have you, make sure that you let them lead, give them the power and control, and just manage them at a high level because you'll catch things. You'll catch when they make a big mistake, but let them make little mistakes. It's okay. Let them, if you know something's wrong, but you're like, you know, in this particular case, I'm going to go with your idea and I'm going to see what happens because you never know, right? If you absolutely know it's wrong and it's going to destroy the company, then obviously don't let them, you know, run into, you know, crash into the wall, uh, supersonic speeds, but allow them to make their own mistakes, allow them to grow. You know, one of the things that made Amazon a really uh, big, big company and nice company was as much as you love or don't love Jeff Bezos. And I'm not, uh, and I, I know people that have worked directly or well, indirectly for him two or three tiers down. He embraced the idea that people could fail and it was okay. We're going to go in, we're going to make logical business decisions. It's a very interesting culture there at Amazon. I won't get into the details of that because I didn't work there, but I know people that have. And uh, But failure is actually okay in the organization, meaning it's, it's, it, it's, it's not, I mean, when I say it's okay, it's that if you came in and you have alignment and you have, uh, uh, and, and you go and you execute to the very best of your ability, but it just didn't work. That's okay. That's going to be part of the overall process. That's not failure of the company. That's just having some challenges along the way. And by the way, out of some of the biggest failures come 
the most amazing opportunities that then lead into exactly. something, right? So that, that anyway, so so I suggest that that's something that, you know, as a leader, as you're taking, embrace that idea. It took me a long time to learn what I just told you. And it's hard to execute, but you got to let go sometimes because that's what's going to really allow the company to grow. And then build those processes and procedures as you need them a little ahead of the curve, but not too ahead of the curve. That's the trick, right? Because it, again, if you build too much process too quick, the company won't be able to survive. Oh yes, for sure. Because you know it's uh, the, you know the changes need to be slowly and uh, steadily. You know, um, as well when C, when C, when there is the CEO of the company, normally what's what's happening, he's uh, he's doing everything, not all the time, but a lot of times we have this uh, we have this problem, especially in the e-commerce space when companies yeah. grew out grew in when comp or or in the space when companies grew out of nothing. Um, then we have this, this, uh, most of the times the CEO, who is at the same time, the owner who's at the C is at the same time, the operations manager, who's at the same time as the project manager. We have, we have this type of person on, on top. Um, obviously he knows everything. He don't want to give anything, anything away. And we have seen this in, in very, very, um, large companies, um, Gymshark. Gymshark is one of the companies. I don't know if you know them. They uh, they are a clothing company. They went in uh, to to one billion uh, of revenue as well. And we had wow. this example as well, you know. And the the guy was like, I don't know, he was under twenty when when he began this, and he was a CEO of the company. And at I don't know, at a very young age, he realized, okay, actually, actually, I I am not good as a CEO. I, I need to I need to go down to learn my processes. So he went down actually to work with project managers, to work with managers, to 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 really learn and he he was one he, then he got one of the team of them really and he he it was i mean it it takes kind of ego to watch and and watch the ceo taking over your company and you're sitting like two or three tiers down and learn and learning it the hard way because you have no clue actually what you're doing so so after these years as you already mentioned you know and then uh, i mean for them it was not that the company was 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 brought down it was that he learned so much that he said, okay, now he was like 25 or 26. Now I'm old enough and I can go back into that CEO position and he's running the and running the company. So I think, I think this way it, it takes, it takes a lot of courage, especially at a young age in order to do such great uh, decisions and lead the company. This is, this is for me leading because he actually leaded the, led the company into, into, uh, to the next level, although yeah. he was not at the top. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it does take a special person to be able to do that. It also takes a special, and, and again, we we can all do that, but you really have to uh, uh, check your ego at the door and say, you know what? I don't know everything that I need to know. I'm going to go ahead and learn from somebody. I'm going to bring in a CEO, knowing full well that I might go back into that role. Now, I was replaced as CEO. I was still chairman of the board. I still owned a, a, a very large chunk of the company, but I was replaced. Uh, and it was the hardest thing that ever happened to me. And then we replaced me with a really bad CEO. And I watched my company disintegrate. It was very hard to watch. And it was a pretty big and successful company at the time. Uh, but, you know, and sometimes bad decisions are made, especially when you have investors and other things. And it was a bad decision. Nice that I was able to come back and we were re really able to make it a success at the end of the day. And that meant, uh, you know, a whole lot to me as well. But I've, I've lived through what you're talking about. Uh, and again, that's the ups and downs of business, you know. And sometimes you do have to realize, how, do I, how am I really going to transition into a leader? And some of the things I just talked about, uh, help in that process, but you'd really have to trust, you know, uh, trust, trust the team that you've assembled, uh, and, and, and you lead them, you don't manage their day to day, but you're absolutely right. Most CEOs, uh, uh are, are way too involved in the itty gritty details of the company and they can't actually get out of that 
to be able to run the strategy of the business. Because at some point, it's okay. At the beginning, you want to be in the details. I've started a new company right now, a SaaS-based uh, software company. Uh, we're about a year and a half into the business. We've been Great. building software like crazy. I'm doing storyboards. I'm doing QA. I'm doing uh, loading up data. I'm doing whatever it takes. We're just about ready to launch. We're literally launching at the end of this month. Please, uh, well, um, give us just a global message to any CEO entrepreneur out there. You know, there have been struggles. There, there are good times. And right now we're running into a, you know, a little bit more difficult time. So what, what is your, your, oh, yeah. your general message for them? You know, what I, what I often talk about, I think this is a really important one because you're going to run into these challenges and, and hey, running a business is a roller coaster ride. Uh, you're going to have your higher highs. And those are the things when you're really selling a lot, or you get new customers, you get a new marketplace and it really works. You get an e a new product line that comes in and it's just exploding. And that feels so good. And then you've got your lower lows and the challenges and maybe something's not happening in the way that you want it or the problems that are coming in. The bottom line is I, I call it the three P's. And it really boils down to number one, patience. You, you know what? I always say that you got to be in the game to win the game. That means you got to be on the playing field. You got to be in the soccer game and the football game and the baseball game. I know here in America, we have the baseball games. Nobody understands baseball. It's like, what? Well, that's, is that a sport? <laughs> I'm kidding. Soccer game, whatever it might be. You got to be on the field and playing the game to win the game. So what I worry about is uh, even as a practicing entrepreneur, you're questioning all the time. Should I be doing this? Should I dive into this? Uh, should I continue? Maybe I should sell the business now, whatever it might be. Uh, or if you're struggling even getting started or getting it to grow and you're just like plateaued and you feel like you're stuck because you haven't moved. Patience, because as you stick with it, new opportunities open up, new avenues open up. You start looking at things slightly different. All of a sudden it's like, well, that didn't work, but then, oh, that worked. Let me give you an example real quick of that patience. When I was originally conceptualizing my company, uh, which was my microcasting company, which is a, uh, basically it's a it's an e-learning platform uh, for sales and marketing purposes. So it, 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 you use e-learning as a way to engage customers and to bring them along the journey, their customers, their partners, or their prospects. It works for everything, right? And I used to call it a thought leadership platform. And I, people would say, what the heck is that? What's a thought leadership? Well, nobody's ever heard of that. All I had to do to change this trajectory, I needed the patience because I had tried for a year to get people to understand my idea. And they're like, no, I don't get it. I literally changed the name from a thought leadership platform to an e-learning business platform. All of a sudden, everybody knew what it was. All of a sudden, it started to connect. And I started to spiral. I started to kind of glom onto that. And I started to it started to happen. And all of a sudden people are like, I love it. I want it. I want that software. And then I started to form it more. And then we developed it more and more and more. That was really interesting to me because I couldn't get people to talk to me before. And now all of a sudden I changed the name. I, I twisted it just a little bit. I might change the, the way I sell a little bit. All of a sudden the world opened up. But if I didn't have the patience, I would have given up and said, you know what? I'm retiring. I'm done. I, I've already done it. I don't need to do this anymore. The hell with it. That would not have been it. So what I find in entrepreneurs, we're very impatient humans, right? And I got to tell you, it's not always on your timeline. It's not always on your timeline. You have an expectation in your mind that says, this should take a year. This should take six months. I want to sell in two years. I want to do this. Guess what? If you say you want to sell in two years, it's going to be five years, six years, seven years, 10 years before you sell. I guarantee it. By the way, when you're building product, like I build software. It always costs twice as much and takes twice as long. Guess what? I'm an experienced <laughs> software guy. I have built massive platforms, right? That were rigged by Forrester and Gartner as the top platforms in the world, doing $2 billion of commerce a year, taking transactions every nanosecond. I mean, you know, this thing was fine tuned, right? And I go and I start building my new platform and guess what? 
cost twice as much and took twice as long. It's almost done now, but it took twice. And I know, and I, have, I hired my team, which has already built platforms for me in the past. So I even knew my team still took twice as long. It wasn't on my timeline. It's not, so it's not always on your timeline. Number one, patience. Second P, <laughs> persistence or perseverance, I'll call it. Perseverance is what I usually call it. And that's, that's just having the stick-to-itiveness. You have to be patient, but you also have the perseverance to continue to drive. Don't lose that, right? Uh, and, and because the perseverance, again, things open up when you persevere. Things open up when you stay in the game and you, you're not even realizing maybe where it's going. And then all of a sudden you kind of get some clarity and an opportunity pops up and you run with it because what you're doing right now may or may not be in alignment with the exact timing that the rest of the world needs what you're doing. But that timing might align. And when it aligns, boom, then your business explodes. So don't give up. Number three. And by the way, if the business really isn't feasible and it really is a crap business, get out of it. I'm not saying stay in a crap business. I'm saying that, that sometimes you have to try different things as you're in the business and you test things and you measure it and then you adjust. Test, measure, adjust. I always talk about that. I taught all my customers that in e-commerce world. You got to keep trying and trying to try. And the last one is really important ingredient. It's a secret ingredient. It's a reason why people want to do business with you. Passion. That even if you're not, I'm, you know, and you can see me on the camera right now, Omar, and you know, I'm, my hands are flailing around. I'm talking. Oh, you know, I love it. Miles I'm passionate. I, I, I understand no completely. Passion, passion. It comes through the phone. But uh, passion comes from the gut and the heart and up through your mouth and it comes out and it's infectious. And the audience is riveted by what you're saying because you're dragging them in. That's how you keep employees interested. That's how you keep investors interested. That's the secret ingredient. Now you got to have everything else. You can't just live on passion alone. Got to have the business fundamentals. You got to have the money. You got to have the product. You got to have the channels of distribution. But the passion is what makes all of it come together. And people want to be with you. They're rooting for you there. And I got to tell you, Market Live, the platform that I grew prior to my current platform, I grew on passion. People wanted to do business with us. Armani, Armani, walking in their offices in New York and they're they're like, and we grew their business from nothing in e-commerce, nothing when they first started. And they were doing hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't even want to say how much millions of dollars they were doing by the time we, we finished with them or whatever. And those customers stayed with us for many, many years, many years, like 10, 15, unheard of. My employees stayed with me for 10, 15, 20 years, unheard of in San Francisco. You know why? Passion. They were addicted to the passion and the energy that we brought along the business. So as a CEO, bring that energy level up. Bring people with you. Don't walk into your office with your head down, looking at the <laughs> floor. You want to walk making eye contact with everybody. If you want to walk into your office, close the door and scream, you go do that. Or you want to look down or you want to cry, whatever you want to do. But when you're out on that floor, when you're out interacting with customers, prospects, partners, uh, uh, employees, you're, you're on. You're on stage. That's my, my advice to you. Now, I, I can't even talk because I got, I got so going so much, right? Yeah, that's, that's, uh... Live with passion, as Tony Robbins said there's an element of there that's infectious and make that because that alone, that alone, that with all the other things can help grow your business. Wow. That's a, that's a very, very, you know, amazing to wrap this up. You know, I mean, I, I cannot say anything, anything else. The only thing what I can <laughs> say is I'm sure now anyone who listened to the podcast want to meet Ken or want to, uh, um, yeah, want to see what you're actually offering and your courses um, and what you have done to see to see your uh, uh, you know the, the whole lifetime, what you have actually um, built. So where can anybody contact you to to you know to speak sure, with absolutely. you or with well, your, our or website, to know more about your company? 
Oh, sure, sure, sure. Thank you so much. Well, our, our uh, website for entrepreneurs is entrepreneurnow.com, entrepreneurnow.com. Yeah, it and, and it has a lot of free resources for uh, for entrepreneurs. So you don't have to buy anything or anything. There's some courses on there that will guide you through things. There's other material and stuff like that, but lots of free resources. KenBurke.com, if you're interested in the book that I mentioned. KenBurke.com. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm always on there well. to, read, to, to, to read any, uh, any of my guest books. Thank you books, so much. Know. Right. And you can always email or, or any other questions. I'm on LinkedIn and email Ken at KenBurke.com. You're more than welcome. Anytime oh, to contact. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it was a, a passion-driven podcast. And, you know, I can just say thank you. And the audience will really appreciate it. And Omar. hopefully hopefully we can speak again. Yes. Thank you, Omar. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to everyone listening. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Ken.